Book Three, Chapter Five of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Selwyn. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Book Three, Chapter Five. Edith Beale had now been married for more than a year to Sir Mosley Mentieth, and the whole of their life together had been to her a painful period of gradual disillusion and all the more painful because she was totally unprepared even for the possibility of any troubles of the kind which had beset her parental opinion and prejudice ignorance education and custom had combined to deceive her with regard to the transient nature of her own feeling for her lover and it was only inevitable that she should lend herself enthusiastically to the deception for who would not believe if they could that a state so ecstatic is enduring even people who do know better are apt to persuade themselves that an exception will be made in their favour and this being so it naturally follows that a girl like edith all faith and fondness is foredoomed by every circumstance of her life and virtue of her nature to make the fatal mistake but as evanne told her passion stays midway between love and hate and is an introduction to either and there is no doubt that if mentieth had been the kind of repentant erring sinner she imagined him her first wild desire would have cooled down into the lasting joy of tranquil love mentieth however was not at all that kind of man and consequently from the first the marriage had been a miserable example of the result of uniting the spiritual or better part of human nature with the essentially animal or most degraded side of it in that position there was just one hope of happiness left for edith and that was in her children if such a woman so situated can be happy anywhere it will be in her nursery but edith's child which arrived pretty promptly only proved to be another whip to scourge her although of an unmistakable type he was apparently healthy when he was born but had rapidly degenerated and edith herself was a wreck they had been out to malta for a short time but had come home mentieth being invalidated and were now at a bracing seaside place trying what the air would do for them all it was edith's habit to send the child out with his nurse directly after breakfast and having done so as usual one morning she remained alone with her husband in the breakfast-room which looked out upon the sands she had her hands idly folded on her lap and was watching mentieth as she might have watched a stranger about whom she was curious he sat at some distance from her reading a paper and there was no perceptible change in him but she had changed very much for the worse why was she not recovering her strength why had it pleased heaven to afflict her that was what she was thinking but at the same time she blamed herself for repining and in order to banish the thought she rose and going over to her husband laid her hand gently on his shoulder courting a caress he had been lavish enough of caresses at first but all that was over now and he finished the paragraph he was reading before he noticed edith at all then he glanced at her but his eyes were cold and critical you certainly are not looking well he observed evidently meaning not attractive as if he were injured by the fact he got up when he had spoken so that in the act of rising he dislodged her hand from his shoulder then he yawned and lounged over to the window which was wide open the weather being warm and stood there with his legs apart and his hands in his pockets looking out one little loving caress or kindly word would have changed the whole direction of edith's thoughts but wanting that she stood where he had left her for some moments lost in pained reflection and then she followed him listlessly seated herself in a low easy chair and looked out also 
there were crowds of people on the sands and her dull eyes wandered from group to group then up to the sky and down again to the sea and shore the sun shone radiantly sparkles of light from the rippling wavelets responded to his ardent caress the sea's sweet air fanned her face but neither light nor air nor sound availed to move her pleasurably is this to be my life she thought the tide was coming in over the sands some children with their shoes and stockings off were playing close to the water's edge they had made a castle and were standing on top of it all crowded together waiting for a big wave to come and surround them and when at last it came it carried half their fortress away with it and they all hopped off into the water and splashed up through it helter-skelter with shouts of laughter to the dry land i should have enjoyed that once thought edith a party of grown-up people cantered past upon donkeys driven by boys with big sticks the women were clinging to the pommels of their saddles and shrieking as they bumped along while the men shouted and beat and kicked the donkeys with all their might horrid common cruel people thought edith how dreadful it would be to have known them a girl came riding past alone on a hired horse she wore a rusty black skirt over her petticoats it was gathered in by a drawing string at the waist and made her look ludicrously bunchy her stirrup was too short, and she clung desperately with both hands to whip and reins and saddle, only venturing to guide her horse now and then, in a timid, half-apologetic sort of way, as if she were afraid he would resent it. She must have felt far from comfortable, but probably the dream of her life had been to ride, and now that she was riding, she admired herself extremely. Edith involuntarily drew a mental picture of the contrast she herself presented on horseback. "'But that girl is well and happy,' she objected to her own disadvantage. She became aware at this moment of another girl who was passing on foot. She was one of those good-looking girls of the middle class who throng to fashionable watering-places in the season, young women with senses rampant, and minds undisciplined, impelled by natural instinct to find a mate, and practicing every little art of dress and manner which they imagine will help them to that end by making them attractive.' Their object is always evident in their eyes, which rove from man to man pathetically, pleadingly, anxiously, mischievously, according to their temperaments, but always with the same inquiry. Will it be you? This girl had made herself by tight lacing into a notable specimen of the peg-top figure, bulgy at the bust and shoulders and tapering off at the waist. She had also squeezed her feet into boots that were much too small for them, and fluffed her hair out till her head seemed preposterously large, by which means she had achieved the appearance known to her set as stylish. When Edith first saw her, she was walking along very quickly with a dissatisfied look on her face, but as she approached the window she glanced up, and seeing Mentieth, her countenance cleared, and she slackened her speed, seeming suddenly to become uncertain of the direction she wished to take. First she half stopped, and then appeared to be thinking. Then she hastily put her hand in her pocket, and looked back the way she had come, as if she had lost something, then shrugged her shoulders to signify that it didn't matter much, and with a faraway look in her eyes walked slowly into the sea. This was in order that she might spring nimbly out again with a fine pretense of confusion at her affected fit of absent-mindedness. Mentieth watched these maneuvers attentively, patiently awaiting the inevitable moment when she would look at him again. 
so far she had pretended to ignore him but he understood her tactics and as he observed them he twisted first one end and then the other of his little light moustache with a self-complacency not to be concealed he had been feeling bored all the morning but now his interest in life revived he had only the one interest in life and when the girl on the beach had done all she could to excite it she glanced at him again and saw by the look with which he responded that she had succeeded then she sat down on the sand placing herself so that she could meet his eyes every time she looked up and taking a letter out of her pocket she began to read it varying the expression of her countenance the while to show that she derived great pleasure from the perusal this was to pique mentieth into supposing that he had a rival the girl had not troubled herself about edith's presence but the latter had also been watching her wiles dully enough however until all at once a thought occurred to her a hateful thought it was the emotional rather than the intellectual side of her nature which had been developed by early associations she had been accustomed to feel more than to think and now when all food for elevating emotions had been withdrawn from her daily life others mostly of a distressing kind took possession of her mind she had gone through all the phases of acute misery to which a girl so trained and with such a husband is liable she had been weakened into dependence by excess of sympathy and now was being demoralized for want of any mentieth had hung upon her words at first had been responsive to her every glance but latterly he had become indifferent to both and she knew it without however comprehending the why and wherefore of the change or of the growing sense of something wanting which was fast becoming her own normal condition she was still fighting hard to preserve the spiritual fervor which had been the predominant characteristic of her girlhood but at this period in their intercourse she knew better than to attempt to re-arouse in him that semblance of spirituality which had deluded her in their early passion period but she had from the first cultivated a passive attitude toward him and that even when the natural instinct of her womanhood impelled her to war with him in any case however instinct is not safeguard enough for creatures living under purely artificial conditions they must have knowledge and edith had been robbed of all means of self-defence by the teaching which insisted that her only duty as a wife consisted in silent submission to her husband's will her intellectual life such as it was had stopped short from the time of her intimate association with mentieth and her spiritual nature had been starved in close contact with him only her senses had been nourished and these were now being rendered morbidly active by disease the shadow of an awful form of insanity already darkened her days the mental torture was extreme but she fought for her reason with the fearful malady valiantly and all the time presented outwardly only the same dull apathy giving no sign and speaking no word which could betray the fury of the rage within this last thought took her unawares as usual and followed an accustomed course she had entertained it for a moment turning it over in her mind with interest before she realized its nature when she did so however her soul sickened what am i coming to she mentally ejaculated recovering herself with an effort which resulted also in a sudden resolution i want to go home she said her voice was very husky mentieth startled from the absorbing occupation of ogling the girl on the beach looked at her sharply had she noticed what he was up to and was she jealous by any chance as these confounded unreasonable women are apt to be no he concluded after carefully scrutinizing her face and attitude there was not a trace of that kind of thing and she evidently only meant what she said and by jove he thought it's an excellent idea for she's looking anything but nice at present marriage is certainly a lottery 
a fellow chooses a girl for her health and beauty and gives her everything she can want in the world and in less than a year she's a wreck the injury done to himself implied in this last reflection caused a certain amount of irritation which betrayed itself in the politely nagging tone of his reply what precisely do you mean by home he asked i mean morning quest she answered ah he ejaculated that was what i inferred i hope i have not said anything to annoy you she exclaimed oh dear no he assured her i know your sex too well to be annoyed at any of its caprices but still he added a wife does not usually make her home with her parents but we have no settled home she remonstrated do you mean that for reproach because my want of means at present obliges me to keep my houses shut up he asked no she answered with a gleam of spirit and you know i do not there was a pause after this it pleased him to make her ask for his permission to go to her mother in so many words he perceived that she found it difficult to do so and there was a satisfaction in the respect and fear which he thought was betokened by her hesitation the sense of power and possession flattered his self-esteem and enlivened him do you object she ventured at last to what dear he asked without interrupting an exchange of amorous glances which was just then going on between him and the girl on the beach to my going home oh no he exclaimed smiling only to that way of putting it by the way he added pleasantly taking up a pair of opera glasses that were lying on the table beside him and adjusting the sight shall i accompany you edith had taken it for granted that he would as they had never yet been separated since their marriage and the question striking as it did another note of change surprised and hurt her but as it was evident that he would not have asked if he had wished to go she answered quietly oh no why should you trouble yourself it would be no trouble i assure you he answered confirming her first impression that he did not wish to go oh no she repeated i could not think of taking you away from here if the air is doing you good ah well he answered catching at the excuse i suppose i ought to forego the pleasure for i am just beginning at last to feel some benefit from the change and i shall probably lose the little good it has done me if i go away now morning quest is relaxing however i shall join you as soon as i can you know this was said with a plausible affectation of being impelled by a sense of duty to act contrary to his inclination which did not however impose upon edith and the thought that the wish to be with her now was not imperative although she was ill became another haunting torment during the short remaining time they were together but happily for herself she never perceived that he did not care to accompany her principally because she was ill she left that afternoon with her servants and child and he saw to the preparations for their departure with cheerful alacrity she was depressed and he told her she must keep up her spirits for everybody's sake and set her a good example by keeping his own up manfully he saw her off at the station and stood smiling and bowing with his hat in his hand until she was out of sight and then he turned on his heel and went with a jaunty air to look for the girl on the beach up to the last moment edith would have been thankful for any excuse to change her mind and stay but when she found herself alone and the journey had fairly begun she experienced a sudden sense of relief she had not realized the fact but latterly her husband's presence had oppressed her end of book 3 chapter 5